uh, my wife and I, we've got five kids. And being a dad is probably one of the things I love uh, most about life. I love having these kids. I love raising them. Uh, I don't know how good I am at that. I guess we'll wait for a few more years to see how they turn out, and we'll see what kind of dad I was. As a parent, though, I think one of the things that happens is when your child asks you for something, is it natural for a parent to, like, want to meet that need? You know, your kid comes up and they're like, Dad, Dad, I really, I want this. And naturally, your heart's kind of like, man, I want to I wanna do that for you. And we're, we got to be somewhat realistic here. We're not going to just be like a genie in a bottle and give our kids anything they ask. But when I, when I hear my kids share their heart, Dad, this is my heart, I really want this. Like, as a parent, you want to make that happen. Now, as our kids keep getting older, uh, again, we've got five kids, and so as our kids get older and kind of get busier, uh, it's happened more often where there just becomes two of us left at home, which is not normal for us. A, a big family, two of us is kind of a weird thing. And so uh, a couple months ago, I remember my, all, uh, my son Oliver, it was just me and Oliver at home, and I'm like, hey, this is my opportunity to be a good dad, uh, and I'm thinking, let's do something special tonight. And so here's what I said. I said, Oliver... We're going to do anything you want for dinner tonight. Whatever you want is yours. And I didn't give him the options. I just wanted to hear what he thought. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking like, man, maybe he'll say, let's do steak, Dad. And we'll go grab some big, thick ribeyes, you know, some really nice meat. I'm thinking maybe he'll say, maybe he'll say, Dad, we should go to Majors because, you know, they've got the grilled onion and the cheese melted on top. And that's probably like the best burger in town. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe he'll say, we'll go to Waterfire for him. Waterfire restaurant is like the fanciest restaurant in town. And I'm like, maybe he'll pick one of those restaurants. And I'm like, bud, anything you want. Uh, this is a dad, anything you want. You know what he says? Dad, can we go to Taco Bell? And I'm like, what? Like, like, really? Like Taco Bell? Yeah, dad, we could get a hard taco and Mountain Dew. And I'm like, not even a chalupa, just a hard taco? Like, like, that's what you want? Now, I'm not judging his dinner. It was good. It was great. Kids are awesome. But really, I tell you this story, not to tell you a story about me and Oliver, but really to think maybe about what does our relationship with God look like? Maybe this is a, a picture of how we relate to God. Again, if we understand uh, that, that Scripture says God is our Father, God is our Father. He loves us. He's the creator of the universe. He offers us salvation and abundant life and, and freedom and peace. He offers us all of these things. And what do we do? We hear him make these offers of all this abundant life and all this blessing, and we're like, okay, well, um, God, I'll just take Taco Bell instead. I'll settle on Taco Bell. Why? Because it's easy, it's convenient. It's quick. So often, we look at just what is for today. What makes my life easy today? What makes today a little bit better? Instead of thinking about the abundant life that God offers to us. In fact, it makes me think of a story out of the, uh, the story of the Exodus. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, God's people, the Israelites, they're in a horrible situation. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, a super-duper long time. And finally, God's, they, they pray to God, and God's like, all right. So God sends Moses, and Moses is going to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He leads them across the Red Sea on dry ground, and they're on the way to this place called the, the Promised Land. It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. 
It's a land that is going to give them freedom. And this is amazing for them. But what happens is along the way, Numbers 14, it says the people begin to complain. They're like, you know what? We hate all this walking. Why do we have to walk? We're hungry. We want food. We're, we're thirsty. We want something to drink. We're, we're, we're tired of this. And they complain and they think, you know, it'd be better for us to have died back in Egypt than have to go through this circumstance to get to the promised land. And they pray and they say, it'd be better if we could, would have died in Egypt. And they pray and say, maybe God will give us a new leader to take us back because it'd be better for us to go back and be slaves in Egypt than to have to travel towards this promised land, this freedom, this abundance that God had offered to them. Why is that? Because for many of us, we settle. We settle on something that seems easy, something that seems quick, rather than believing that God is for us, rather than believing God is working things out for our good, that he will give us peace and freedom and forgiveness and abundant life. In fact, there's a a quote by C.S. Lewis, and it says this. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has what has been offered to us. He says, we are like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a vacation by the beach. We are far too easily pleased. I love that picture, he says. We're kind of like these kids in a slum making mud pies and content with that when God has offered us. I don't know, maybe it's not the beach for you. That's the way he describes it. Maybe for you, it's, it's skiing on the hill or it's going to the lake or the mountain. Whatever it happens to be, we settle on making mud pies instead of realizing, man, God can do all of this for us. We are uh, this morning continuing our series through the book of Acts. We are now uh, a month, a little over a month in. We are through two chapters, and it has been awesome. The book of Acts really becomes a way for us to see how does the church become a movement. This early church started with 120 people gathered in a room, and they became a movement that changed the world around them. And that is, my, that is our desire here for Restoration Church, is that we wouldn't just become a place for people to come and receive religious services, but that we become a movement that changes our city, that changes our families, changes the world around us. And so chapters one and two, we saw the Holy Spirit has descended upon the early church. And we saw that very first church service, Peter preaches. And it said that 2,000 people, 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. That's, that, that's a pretty exciting growth day, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of people being added to the church. And then after all these people are added, last week we saw the basic structure of the church looks like. As we think about being a biblical church, we see in the very beginning of Acts, here's the things that a biblical church do. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the word of God. They're devoted to one another. There's this fellowship. There's this love, concern for one another where they they sacrifice and actually show their love for the people. And they're devoted to the prayers. This is what a biblical church looks like. These are the things that we as a church, we ought to be prioritizing when we gather together. And today we're going to flip into chapter three. 
In chapter 3, we're going to see one of uh, the first of 14 different miraculous healings in the book of Acts. These miraculous healings we're going to see God uses to alleviate suffering. See, in God's original design, when he created the earth, there was no suffering. There was no sin, disease, sickness. There wasn't suffering. Obviously, when sin entered the world, we started dealing with sin and disease and suffering and all those things. It was never God's intent for us to have to suffer. And so, as time has gone on, there are times when God shows his power through miracles like this, where he will alleviate someone's suffering. And these miracles are a picture of the day that Jesus returns when all suffering will come to an end. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. And we long for that day when Jesus returns, where he removes all of the sin and the suffering in the world. But today we're going to see this very first miracle that God does through Peter and John. And one of the things I want to make clear is this miracle, it's not a miracle of Peter and John. This isn't Peter and John walking in and saying, we're going to heal this guy. No, this is what God is doing in them. In fact, oftentimes we look at the book of Acts, and, and we look at the books, if you've been in church a long time, we know the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, which is probably not a right definition for the book. The book is actually more accurately described as the Acts of God through the Holy Spirit in his ministry through the apostles. This is what God is doing through the apostles in the church. This miracle is not about Peter or John, it's about God. God's the one who does it. And so as we look at this story today, uh, we're going to see that when we put our faith and our obedience in God, that he will give us more than we could ever imagine. And when we do that, it leads us to living a life that gives him glory and not glory for ourselves. So here's how our text starts out. Chapter three, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, in Jewish culture, there were three times to, to gather together to pray. You'd pray in the morning, you'd pray at lunchtime, you'd pray at the evening. And so when it says the ninth hour, that's the evening hour. It's actually 3 p.m., which is a little early for us, but it would get dark about 4, sometimes in their culture, about around 4.30. So this is the time to gather to pray in the evening before it gets dark. One of the things I think I, I want to highlight here is, again, we saw in Acts chapter 2, we saw that the early church, they were devoted to prayer. They gathered together consistently to pray. And what do we see in chapter 3? What are Peter and John doing? They're going to pray. There's this serious devotion to prayer. Prayer is kind of the initiation of God beginning to do a work in us and through us and around us. That's why prayer is so central to our, our, our faith. In fact, as Peter and John, as they're about to see this miracle that God's going to do, notice as Peter and John, they're not looking for a miracle. They're not walking around saying, who can we heal today? No, they're just living obedient. Hey, God calls us to pray, to be devoted to prayer. We're on our way to pray. They're obedient. And then God's going to show them this miraculous healing in just a moment. It says in verse 2, there was a man who was lame from birth, who was carried and lay daily at the beautiful gate of the temple called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Now, in the first century, if you had a disability like this, if you could not walk, that was essentially a sentence to a lifetime of poverty. If you, if you had a disability like this, you couldn't go to work. There was no disability program from the government to, to provide for your needs. It was literally a lifetime of, of poverty. You were, a, you were an economic burden on your family, on the, the culture around you. 
And at best, if you were disabled, at best, you could hope that somebody would take you to a public place. They'd carry you to a public place, and you could sit there and beg for alms. Beg that people would provide you some sort of sustenance, uh, whether that be uh, tangible provision or, or money, that you could go and provide food for yourself and, and, and feed yourself. And that's the best you could hope for. This guy, uh, location is important. It's pretty strategic for him, right? It said they placed him at the beautiful gate, which is a gate that entered into the temple. Inside the beautiful gate, that's where you'd see the fellowship of the church. This is where the people would gather. And so, I mean, this guy's pretty smart. He's like, hey, if I'm going to ask for alms, I'm going to go do it outside the church. People coming in, people going out, they might be more willing to support me so I can have a meal tonight. Not a bad place to go. But I want to just mention how location here is important. Because this beautiful gate, again, was a gate that would welcome people into the fellowship of the temple. You go in through the gate, you'd have the fellowship with God's people, and it would be a great thing. But gates don't just welcome people in. Gates also keep people out. And see, for this beggar, because he was disabled, Jewish culture said, you are an unclean person. You are an outcast as a disabled person, he actually wasn't allowed to, to enter into the gate. He wasn't allowed to go into the temple. So we see this beautiful gate welcoming people into the church, welcoming people into the fellowship, and it became a, a barrier that this guy could not cross, prevented him from worshiping God and having fellowship with God's people. So it says in verse 3, this guy, he sees Peter and John heading to the temple, and he asks for alm. And Peter directed his gaze, as did John, and said, hey, look at me. And I love this because I picture Peter and John, again, they're, they're, they're focused. Hey, God's called us to pray. We're going to go. We, we, we got things to do. We're going to this prayer service. And they have this interruption. They have this guy who, who, who interrupts their day and inter interrupts what they have going on. And they look past the inter interruption. They get past the awkward. And they look at the guy and say, hey, look, look at us. Something's about to happen. Look at us. And verse 5, it says, a man fixed his attention on them. And while he was expecting to receive something from them, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Is that what that guy wants to hear? No. Right? The guy's there. He's asking for alms. He needs some money. <laughs> Peter says, look at me. I'm going to tell you something. And he's like, guess what? I have no money. If I'm that guy, I'm like, oh, great. This is not what I need. I need money. I need dinner. And here you are probably going to give me some spiritual cliche about life, about whatever it happens to be. Let me tell you about my God. No, what I need is a meal tonight. But what Peter does say, he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Again, this guy is sitting there simply asking for money. Would you give me money so I can get dinner tonight? I'll go to Taco Bell and get the, get the hard taco and, and a Mountain Dew. I just need something. But God, through the disciples, says, no. No. And why does God say no? Why does Peter and John say no? Because God is ready to give him something totally different, something completely better. And isn't this true where so often we're simply looking for pocket change? 
But God wants to give us something so much better. He wants to give us life change. I mean, I think about this guy, and I'm like, you know what? It's so much easier to ask for alms. Alms meet the need in the moment. Hey, I just need to get dinner tonight. Alms is going to help me. A little bit of money will get me. It's so much easier. It's more convenient. It's just, it makes my day better. It makes you wonder, how come we didn't ask God for more? Maybe he didn't believe God could do more. Maybe it's just easy, and maybe we settle on what becomes easy, and we just kind of get through the mundane because we just settle on it. In fact, how many of us in our faith settle on pocket change? Settle on asking God for alms, for trivial things, when God would offer us so much more if we would just trust him and put our faith and obedience in him. I mean, think about, think about our lives. Why do we settle for superficial relationships? We have these superficial relationships with one another where it's kind of like we talk about the weather and we talk about the Mariners and how great they're going to be this year. We talk about those things, but we don't go deeper. Why? Because sometimes when we go deeper, we have to have awkward conversations and that's awkward. We don't like to have those. So we settle on superficial instead of pressing through to something better. Why is it? that we grasp onto control of our life. We do this, right? We grasp for control. We cling to control over our, our relationships, our kids, our families, our work, our money. We hold on to it tightly. Why? Because I can't actually let go. I'm a control freak. I can't trust God with these things. I'm going to hold on to it because certainly I can do better than God can do. We're asking for alms instead of saying, God, hey, can I just give this to you and trust that you're going to do something with this? Our lack of faith and obedience often will cause us to miss out on the abundance that God has in our lives because we're not willing to fully trust him and to act on that faith. And let me, be, let, me, let me just be clear here. I'm not talking about this prosperity idea that you just name it and claim it, and if you have enough faith, then God will give you whatever you want. But I do want to press into this idea that as Christians, oftentimes we pray like this guy. God, give me some alms. God, give me just a little bit of money. Make my day easier. Instead of taking God at his word, that he says... I will heal you. I will redeem you. I will still restore you. I'll give you peace. I'll give you abundant life. Why don't we actually believe those things? Why don't we take God as a word to believe that he can and will do those things in us and through us? So Peter, silver and gold have I none. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And verse 7, it says, Peter, he took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strong. Again, we've talked about how the book of Acts is written by Luke, and Luke was a doctor. As a doctor, he would have known there are 26 bones in each of your feet. That's a lot of bones. There's 52 bones, 26 and 26. 50. There's 52 bones in both of those feet together. And after a lifetime of deformity, Luke says that immediately, immediately, his bones were joined together. His bones were made strong. And I want you to notice in that verse, I want you to notice the faith 
of both Peter and this disabled guy. Both of these guys have faith. Peter reaches down and takes the guy by the hand. What is that? That's faith. Faith that God is actually going to do what God led him to do. Faith. I'm going to reach out and grab your hand and say, we're going to stand up. That's Peter showing his faith. And what about the guy? Well, Peter told him, you've got to stand up and walk. Rise up and walk. And what does the guy have to do? He stands up. You see his faith. You see it. See, faith is not something that we simply ascribe to. Faith isn't something we think. Faith isn't just a mental thing. Faith is an action. Faith is visible. Faith is behaving as if we actually believe. That's where if we say we have faith in in this certain thing, we have faith in this, then we actually have to behave in a certain way to show our faith. So, for example, I've got this, this, this stool here, right? Now, if I come up here, and I, I can tell you all about this stool. This stool is amazing. It's from Target. It's from Target. It's got strong legs. Look at these legs. And it's got this little cross beam right here to, to add a little extra support. I mean, this chair, this stool, it's amazing. You know, I love this stool. I want you to know how much I just, I love it. It's so special to me. This stool loves me and back. It's amazing. I'm going to post on social media about how great this stool is. And, and I'll tell you how the stool works because the stool is amazing. Now, I can stand up here and say I have all the faith that this stool is great. It doesn't really mean much though, right? And isn't this what a lot of us do in our faith? Oh, I have so much trust in God. God is so amazing. Let me post on social media how great God is. Let me get emotional because how good God is. All the while, the stool is right here, and the stool is saying, Kevin, will you actually sit on me? Because it's when I sit on the stool, that shows I have I actually, I was good. I haven't sat. I actually didn't sit on it this morning, so I'm glad I didn't, like, fall down on me. Right? Like, we can claim to have all the faith in the world. We can be emotional about how great this stool is. But until we actually sit down on it and show our faith and put our faith into action, it doesn't really mean much. And that's kind of where you see what happens here. This guy is not going to experience all that God has for him unless he puts his faith into action. And I think about how often for us, how often do we miss what God wants to do in our lives because we're not willing to actually act on our faith. We're not willing to put it to action. Well, this guy does. And verse 8 says, Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And again, this was a big deal. This guy, that gate at the temple was a barrier. He'd never been inside the temple. He'd never been able to go and experience the the people of God and the fellowship of God and the worship of God. But now he's up. He's on his feet. He's walking and leaping and praising God. You know, just pause here and just say something here about Restoration Church. You know, when we started this church 10 years ago, and it still is true today, that our desire as a church 
It's to be a place that doesn't have barriers. Our desire of a church is that we would be a safe place where it's okay to not be okay. Like we're, we're passionate that this is a place where it's okay to say, I still got a little bit of baggage. My life hasn't been perfect. I've made some mistakes. I've sinned. I've fallen short. Our, our desire is that we're a place where you're not going to find judgment. You're not going to find these barriers that prevent you from coming in. No, we want to be a church that isn't a museum for all the saints, but is actually a hospital for sinners, a morgue for people who need new life. That as people come in with their baggage, with their junk, that they would experience and feel the, the grace of God. And as they experience the grace and the love of God, then they would choose to follow God by faith, experience his healing, experience his salvation, experience his power. And guess what happens when we do that? Then we don't stay that way. We don't stay that broken person. God begins to heal it and redeem it. We become a new creation. We become stronger and better. We get to some of that abundance that God had offered. And I love this because this is what happens in this guy's life. He experienced the grace of God in his life. He experienced a healing and his story becomes so powerful. It said he was walking and leaping and praising God. It makes me wonder, like, who worships like that? Walks into the temple, he's walking and leaping and who worships God like that? I'll tell you who worships God's like that. Somebody who's been saved from much. Somebody whose God has done a tremendous work in their life. And I'm not talking necessarily about worship styles and whether you lift your hand or whether you clap your hands. I'm talking about your life. Is your life, is it evident that Jesus is alive in you? As you think about your life and, and what kind of glory you give to God, is it evident that God has done a work in your life? Because when you experience the grace of God, his salvation, his freedom, his healing, you can't help but give God the glory. That's what this guy does. He's walking and leaping and praising God. He's not walking and leaping and saying, oh, Peter and John are so great. Oh, you guys got to go see Peter and John. Uh, look, look all I've overcome. Look how, look how far I've come. No, he's walking, leaping, and pointing to God. God did this. God did this. When you experience God, you can't help but acknowledge his power and work in your life, and you can't help but, but worship him because of what he has done. And look what happens. He comes in the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. In verse 9, it says, All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The people of the temple, they recognized him. Wait, isn't that the guy that is always asking for alms in front of the temple? Isn't that guy the guy that I gave him some money to get dinner? Isn't that guy that I gave him a blanket? Isn't it that guy that's always sitting outside? And now we see him on the inside. We know his story. We know what he's been through. We know his wounds, his scars, his life. And now what's the guy doing? He's walking and leaping and praising God. His story becomes a testimony. His story becomes an example of how God works. 
of what God is capable of. You know the best part about this? This, exactly, this guy comes in, he's walking, leaping, and praising God. Everybody can see him giving glory to God because of what God has done in his life. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a crowd that gathers around Peter and John. A, a large crowd gathers, and Peter's going to give his second sermon. He's going to say, listen, guys, this man was healed not because of anything I did. This man wasn't healed because he was great. He was healed because of Jesus. Jesus healed him. And let me tell you what, if you put your faith in Jesus, uh, he can make you whole. He can enable your sins to be forgiven for you to experience healing and refreshing that God desires for you. And we're going to see, because this guy walks into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, there's going to be another couple thousand people added to the church in the very next chapter. So here's, here's our text. Here's our summary. Here's what's happened. You've got this guy. He's disabled. He's an outcast. He's not able to be a part of the fellowship of God. Peter comes and says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He shows his faith, and God heals him, and he stands up and can't help but walk and leap and praise God and give God the glory. But here's our summary. An active, obedient faith in Jesus brings that abundant life that God offers and results in a life lived to the glory of God. It's what it is. When we have this active, obedient faith, that is, when, that is when God gives us more than we could ever imagine. Not just alms, but abundant life and healing and grace and peace. And when we experience those things, we can't help but live a life that gives glory to him. So i got two points of application, then we'll wrap up. Number one, here's a question for you this morning I want you to, to wrestle with. Where is it that you need to put your faith into action? Right? You ever thought about that? Where is it you need to put your faith into action? Because again, there's a lot of people on social media who claim to love the chair. There's a lot of people who claim to love Jesus, and we can be very emotional about Jesus. Oh, Jesus is my Savior. He's my rock. But are we actually active in that faith? Are we actually living and trusting him and doing what he says and believing what he says, believing his word? Think about it this way. I know some people are like, man, I, I love God. I love Jesus. He's my Savior. So we can claim that. But if you truly love God, do you think that impacts your relationship with the church? The church is the body of Christ. It is, it is the tangible body of Christ. Do you think you can claim to love God but not love his body? You see, this is where we can claim to have faith, but our action has to follow. I mean, I talk to people and they're like, man, I'm praying. I'm praying that God would deepen my relationship with him. Like, like I want a deeper relationship with God and that's my prayer. But let me ask you this. Are you actually taking steps to do that? Are you reading the Bible? Are you repenting of sin? Are you surrounding yourself with godly people? Because again, we can claim to say, oh, I have faith in God and I believe he's going to do it. Are you actually taking action and steps to show that you actually believe what you're claiming to believe? I think about people that have relationships that are struggling, a marriage struggling, problems with your kids, 
all these different things. And we can pray, God, we need a miracle. God, we need your power in our relationship. And that's great. You should be praying for it. But are you actually taking steps as well? Are you loving according to 1 Corinthians 13? That says love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Are you, are you living out the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Are you living according to Philippians 2.14 that says, consider others more significant than yourself? Because I tell you what, we can pray and say, God, would you heal these relationships? But God's like, hey, you've got a part of this. You've got to do your part. You've got to obey me. And if you would obey me and do what I ask you to do, I would give you all the blessing and all the abundant life, and I would bring the healing. But you've got to get up and walk. They got people who said, man, I've been praying for this person to come to God for a long time. I've been praying for, for this family member to become a Christian for years and years and years. And I'm like, that's awesome. We love praying with you through that. Have you actually actually told them the gospel? Have you told them, told them what Jesus has done in your life? Have you invited them to church? Again, we pray, God, I need you to do something. Are you willing to get up and walk? See, I think we got to view this as God being our father. He's a good father. He wants the best for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to give to us. He wants to know our heart. He wants to meet those needs. Doesn't mean he's a genie in a bottle who's going to give us whatever we want. But when we trust him as a good father, it means we actually have to act on those things that we believe. That we believe he's good. We believe he's working things out for our good and our and his, for our good and his glory. Question is, as he's there saying, hey, this is what I can do for you. I can give you peace. You want peace? I'll give it to you. You want forgiveness? I'll give it to you. You want, you want freedom? I'll give it to you. Are you willing to rise up and walk? Think about people that have been stuck in addiction. God, God, would you free me from this addiction? Would you free me from this addiction? Yeah, have you also considered also flushing the, the, the alcohol down the toilet? Getting rid of the phone? Getting rid of the internet? I mean, we claim, God, I need you to do this. Listen, you've got to get up and walk. And I think God will meet you where you're at. He'll strengthen you when you need it. It's how God works. But there's that step where you've got to rise up and walk. I'm going on too long on that one. Where, do you, where is it for you that you need to put your faith into action? What is that for you this week? And number two, when you think about your life, how do your wounds and how does your story give glory to God? I mean, this guy, everybody knew his past. They've seen him. They knew he was the outcast. They knew he was disabled. They knew all these things about him. And here he is leaping and jumping and praising God. And it's clear, man, something has happened in this guy's life. Something has happened. What happened? Jesus. Jesus happened. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he's up and walking and leaping and praising God. And he's saying, look what God has done in me. Look what God has done. Like, you know my wounds, you know my story, but look what God has done. He's healed me. And here I am today giving glory to him. See, this is where I come back to this idea that I'm passionate about restoration being a safe place. You got to hear me in this. Restoration, like one of our family values, 
is we're a church that celebrates progress rather than perfection. Which means a church is not supposed to be a place that's full of perfect people who have it all together. No, the church is a place of broken people who experience healing and forgiveness and grace and redemption. But I want you to hear this. If this is going to be a safe place, the only way that happens is if we become safe people. See how that works? Like, the church is not just a building. The church is a people, and if we're going to be a safe place, we've got to be safe people. So why is it that we shy away from our wounds? Why is it when we've made mistakes and we've screwed up and we've failed, why is it we shy away from those things and hide them in the past? Hide our struggles and failures? Is it not because we're afraid of what others will think of us? I can't tell you what I've been through because I'm afraid you'll judge me for it. Why is fear in other people bigger to us than actually the glory of God? Because I'll tell you what, every one of us in this room, we've been through some stuff. We've got a story. And we can hide it and be afraid of what, how people will judge us. Or we can be like this guy and say, I'm going to walk and leap and praise God. I want people to see this is where I was, but here's where I am. Why? Because Jesus did this. Jesus brought me through it. Jesus healed me. Like here I was broken and screwed up and look what God did. He brings beauty from the ashes. See, our world is built on this idea of having a facade, which means the people we meet, we might meet whoever it happens to be and it looks like they've got pretty good life. Looks like heaven on the outside. When I say for the reality of, of most people we meet, it might look like heaven on the inside, on the outside, but chances are it's hell on the inside. Can we just acknowledge people are struggling? There's a struggle in people's hearts or mind, a struggle in their marriage, a struggle with sin, a struggle with fear, with doubt, wondering if life is worth it. And what do these people do? They look good on the outside. They try and put it together while inside they're struggling and they come into the church. And what do they find in the church? Museum of saints. People who smile and say, man, God is good. No struggles. I'm doing real good. Praise God. Praise God for that. We got it all together. Are we a safe place? Because if we're going to be a safe place, first thing is we have to become safe Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be real. I'm asking you to be authentic. I'm asking you to think about your story. Think about your wounds. Think about what you've been through. And I want you to look at that and say, look how great I am. Look at all I've overcome. No, I want you to say, man, here's what I've been through because of Jesus. Here's how Jesus carried me through this. Here's how Jesus worked in my life. Here's how Jesus took me from broken and, 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 and disabled. And here's how I am today, walking and leaping and praising God because this is what God does. Can you acknowledge that maybe we don't have it all together? 
can we acknowledge that maybe today we're doing okay, but we've all been through some stuff. We've had our own marriage struggles. We've been through failure. We've been through addiction. We've struggled with anger and, and bitterness. We've been an idiot that's caused us to lose our job. We've dishonored our parents. We've disobeyed God. We've walked away from God. Can we acknowledge the reality of these things in our life and say, here's my story? And here's what God has done in that. Here's my story, and here's how God has worked in me and through me. He forgave me. He healed me. He restored me. He redeemed me. Here's my story. Here's my wounds. But more importantly, here's my Savior who met me when I was broken, who carried me through. See, if we're going to have this genuine faith, this active faith, we're going to live out our faith and not just claim to love the chair, but actually sit in the chair. It's going to require us to have an active faith, to put our faith into action. And it's going to be awkward at times. And it's going to be completely vulnerable to stand up and say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I've got some, some junk in the trunk. I've got some struggle. But guess what? God's carried me through here. God's brought me this far, and God's not done with me yet. And I tell you what, if we would live lives like that, just like this disabled guy, man, I was disabled, I was poor, I was broken, and God did something, and now I'm walking, leaping, and praising God, and guess what happens? Guess what happens? The crowd gathers. They want to know what's happened to this guy. How did this guy get healed? And guess who gets the glory? God does. And if we would be in the same way, if we would be this disabled guy walking and leaping and praising God, saying, here's my story, here's my wounds, but here's my Savior, guess what? People would walk in this place, and they say, this is a safe place. These are safe people. I can be real with my stuff. And guess what? When they're real, that's when Jesus meets them there. And that's when Jesus heals them. And that's when Jesus restores them. And that's when Jesus redeems them. The work of God is contagious. We become the, the visible expression of God working in the world. So please, please, Allow your story and your wounds to give glory to God. Don't shy away from them. Praise God because he's brought you through that. Praise God because that no longer defines you. Praise God because he's greater than your greatest failure. And I tell you what, if we could be a church of people walking and leaping and praising God, I imagine we become a movement. I imagine the world around us looks and says, what is different with this group of people? How they experience this healing, this joy, this peace, this abundance. I want that. And guess what? That's what we get to say. Let me tell you about this, Jesus. Who lived the perfect life. Who was God in the flesh. Who went to the cross and died for our sin and rose from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and death 
hell and who gives us salvation and forgiveness and abundant life and peace. And you can have this too. Let me pray.